Hey, it's Chris. Wanted to tell you two quick things about today's episode. First, we recorded it on Tuesday afternoon at about four o'clock Eastern. We had just wrapped up a three-day conference with some of our members, and we recorded this in front of a live audience. 99.99% of you listening were not at the event, so we wanted to share some of the highlights and investing takeaways. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, second, the episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. It's Wednesday, September 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, not in studio. We'll get to the location in a second, but joining me, Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Thanks for being here, guys. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, uh, we are wrapping up a three day member event. We're at the Ritz Carlton in Washington, D.C., in the heart of Washington, D.C. Lovely Ritz Carlton Hotel. It is beautiful. Yes, you don't need to say lovely. I think if you just say Ritz Carlton, (laughs) it implies lovely. It usually implies loveliness. Um, And with us, we've got a gang of fools here. I mean, I love these settings. We should do this more often. Yes. Maybe we should just at least let's capture that, and and then we play that as we tape Motley Fool Money this this week, and that'll just kind of get us in the right frame of mind. So we should just defraud the dozens of listeners on Motley Fool Money. Well, I mean, I like to think it's just we're enhancing the show that we're delivering. So I mean, that's you probably gotta you appreciate that, right? Very nice. Um, So we've had this three day event. Um, We don't have any amount of time to cover all of the stock ideas that have been discussed over the last couple of days. But I did want to start, Jason, with you. One of the things that we do at events like this is essentially an investing version of speed dating, um, where you and Ron and other analysts um, have eight minutes to sit with a group of people, talk about a specific topic, and then you get up change tables, that sort of thing. Um, You participated in these. What was your topic? And if you could share a couple of highlights. Sure, yeah. The, I covered entertainment, and a lot of this uh, stems from the entertainment presentations I've given at events like this before, um, as well as some work that we're doing um, on that uh, front here towards the back half of the year. And, and so, entertainment is a big word for investors, right? I mean, it, it spans a lot of different areas from video to music to advertising and social media, all sorts of stuff. Uh, the conversations at our tables did seem to revolve around a couple of topics in specific. One was uh, Netflix, and I think it's an interesting discussion to have uh, on Netflix from a number of angles. I mean, it's it's obviously a very popular stock in the Foolish Universe, uh, one of our biggest winners on scorecards. Uh, a lot of people in this room, I'm sure, have benefited greatly from hanging on to those Netflix shares for a long time. Uh, there was a. I was a little bit surprised at. I don't want to say the pessimism, but I think maybe the concern uh, going forward for Netflix, uh, as opposed to maybe how folks felt about it two or three years ago. Uh, generally speaking, it's just it's competition in the space, right? I mean, Netflix used to essentially own that market. Uh, now there's a lot of competition out there. We've got a new Disney service coming online here soon, and there's this HBO Max uh, streaming service which is coming online. And so there are a lot of different substitutes out there uh, for you know our streaming content. And, and I think the concern was just based on how much more Netflix can raise prices, how much further they can push up that price before people start saying, you know what, either it's not something I use as much, or maybe I'm going to downgrade to a cheaper subscription or, uh, or whatnot. And so, I mean, for Netflix as, as investors, 
really focusing on two things, right? More subscribers and figuring out a way to raise those prices over time uh, because they have a lot of, of money that they owe uh, for that content. Not to mention the fact that a lot of that content is now coming off their platform and going on to the platforms of the, of the people that own that IP. So uh, it was just interesting to see that change in sentiment. Um, and then we, we did talk a little bit about sports betting companies because of the, the changing landscape here uh, regulation-wise. Uh, you know, you're starting to see more interest in that. We talked about a couple of companies, Flutter Entertainment, uh, which is actually over in Ireland. So that was a business built in, uh, you know, where sports betting is is traditionally legal. So uh, big opportunity there, I think, with Flutter. And then one that I've kept on the watch list for a while here is uh, Churchill Downs, which is far more than just Churchill Downs. I mean, that's uh, a number of racetracks around the country, a number of casinos. Uh, as well as uh, online betting. So, uh, pretty interesting conversations. Let me go back to Netflix for a second because there was an article over the weekend I read, I think it was maybe in the Washington Post. Um, and uh, and I'm, I say this as someone who um, owns shares of Disney. I don't own shares of Netflix. But even as a shareholder of Disney, I was uh, pretty blown away by this admission. And essentially, it was about how um, uh, several people in the entertainment industry were talking about these recent deals. You talk about the shows that are coming off Netflix and how other streaming platforms are throwing, you know, five hundred million dollars at Jerry Seinfeld and you know that sort of thing. Um, and basically, this admission that the companies don't really know how to value these streaming deals for existing content in the way that they very clearly know how to value television syndication. There's a very clear advertising metric you can run against any show to figure out, oh, this is going to be profitable. And therefore, in the case years ago of TBS, they said, sure, we'll pay this amount of money for Seinfeld because we're confident we can get the ad revenue to back that up. And in the case of the streaming platforms, they're like, yeah, we're not really sure. We're just kind of throwing money. <laughs> I mean, it feels that way. And I think there is, there is some uh, validity to that. I mean, it is sort of a new... Uh, age and, and I think that they are learning as they go along how to value that content. I mean, sometimes those numbers don't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I think I saw something where Big Bang Theory is going on HBO Max, and I, that was somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars. And I don't know that I've ever even seen a full episode of that show. But I guess it's trying to figure out. It's a good show. Yeah, and that's what I hear. Apparently, uh, it, it's it's trying to figure out uh, how you can how you can get your hands on that lightning in a bottle show, whether it's Seinfeld or The Office. It's about engagement, making sure that you have people using that platform. I think it'll be interesting to see if the, the enormous sums of money they're paying like comedians to do like, like Chappelle to do like a three-part series or even a one-part series, tens of millions of dollars to these folks. Will that compress over time as there are more uh, avenues for these people? Or will it actually go up because you, you've got to pay to get the content because you've got to be the winner in this streaming war that, that is going on. Uh, but these are astronomical sums. They are, although it is interesting if you just look at the categories of television, movies, and stand-up comedy, it's almost as though every other platform has ceded stand-up comedy to Netflix. Yeah, yeah, more than likely. I mean, I, I see some some of that stuff on Amazon, and I guess uh, you know that that stuff will live its own life, and, and it is relatively timeless. I I do think it's interesting. We talk about these astronomical sums. Uh, 
when you look at a, a service like HBO or Disney, I mean, these are streaming services that are backed up by very big businesses that do other things. Uh, so they can kind of hide behind those those large sums. You know, they can pay it. And then they've got this big business that kind of you know keeps on chugging along. Whereas something like a Netflix, I mean, this is what they do. This is all they do. And so when we see those astronomical sums coming out from a company like Netflix, it's very clear to see how that's affecting their financial position because they don't have really anything else to fall back on. So it'll be interesting to see over the time over over time here how uh, Reed Hastings decides to to let Netflix evolve. I mean, we talked uh, about their potential for bringing advertising into the model uh, for some time at Fool Fest back in June. And I think the room was split 50-50 that you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But it was a recent earnings call where I mean, they were very clear they're not going to bring advertising onto their platform because it, it's completely in the face of what they built the whole thing for in the first place. So, uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to evolve the platform, make it, keep it engaging. Um, original content can only take you so far, as we've seen. Ron, what'd you talk about in your... Uh, uh, I don't show? have as much to add as Jason, but my topic was valuation, which is something very near and dear to my heart. But the <laughs> problem was is that I followed the analysts that were talking about marijuana stocks. <laughs> so every table I sat down at, they had just finished this robust conversation about this burgeoning industry, and there comes Ron Gross to talk about valuation. But everyone was kind and engaged and it actually really was interesting to hear from all of you about the role that valuation plays or doesn't play in your investment-making decisions. Uh, some of us are focused on it. Some of us don't know anything about it, about it. Some of us follow Motley Fool recommendations and count on us to do the work. Thank you for that. Um, but it was, it was a wonderful conversation. And, and we talked about high-growth stocks, whether they're the cloud computing stocks or the Netflixes of the world, and how one would value a company like that versus maybe an old economy type of company, one that's been around for a while, pays a dividend, is a slow. Uh, much more slow growth company. Um, and so we had some really nice conversations around that. It feels like price to sales is the new price to earnings. I don't, I don't know how everybody out there feels about that, but given the nature of a lot of these tech companies, software as a service and whatnot, you see, I mean, a lot of them have yet to reach profitability. So then you, you how do you value something like that? Well, you have price to sales normally is kind of one way to look at it, but it really does seem like that's a metric that's being used more and more these days. Which in a vacuum, I would say, is the sign of a market top. Um, it feels, when we talk about things like that, it feels like 1999 and 2000 when we were talking about internet stocks um, that didn't have earnings and probably shouldn't have gone public in the first place. Thankfully, I don't think we're there now. Um, the markets, the IPO markets, I think, are better. Um, most companies that should go public do. Some that uh, have a little trouble get pulled like we work, and, and they uh, go back to the drawing board. Um, but we are valuing companies without earnings, um, but have strong revenue growth at, at very, very high multiples. And it's going to be up to those companies to eventually earn the cash flow to support that, those stocks. And if they don't, then those stocks will suffer. Um, but there are so many exciting new technologies out there that you almost are happy to see the capital markets supporting uh, these companies, because they really kind of change the way we all live. It's, it, and a lot of it is very exciting. I think it's safe to say one of the highlights of the past three days was the interview that our CEO, Tom Gardner, did with Eric Yuan, the CEO of Zoom Video. Um, 
the interview was conducted over Zoom video. Uh, the technology appeared to work flawlessly. And Jason, you and I were talking earlier. I, I don't own shares of Zoom, but I, I found myself watching this interview and just thinking, one, I cannot help but like this guy. Uh, and two, uh, I'm totally rooting for this company. I mean, he seems like the type of CEO that we like to see, which is someone who is not just putting together a good business, um, but is also someone who cares immensely both about his employees and his customers. Very easy got to pull forward, no question about it. And um, I, I don't own shares of Zoom either. I probably will be changing that at some point or another. It, it's a recommendation in, in our augmented reality service already. Um, and, and I think there's just a lot to like about the business itself. Uh, for me, you know, when I, when I watch interviews like that, and, and you take away, for me, the takeaway is the power of the customer-centric leader is, is, I think, almost impossible to really quantify. Like, I mean, it can have such a big impact, not only on the culture of the business and how you grow the business, but how outsiders, how investors perceive that business. And, and I think oftentimes when you see really you know, customer-centric leadership like that, the market's going to give it a little room to run, uh, even as it's getting its feet underneath it. You know, so you look at companies, I mean, Amazon obviously is the one that led the way here, uh, but I think companies like Netflix, Wayfair, another good example, very customer-centric CEOs, Shopify, um, and, and Zoom as well. You just When you find businesses like those, keep them on your radar, because even though those valuations seem like they're a little out of hand, there is a reason behind it, at least. I mean, the market will give businesses like that, uh, you know, some credit. I was just going to add that good people don't always make great CEOs, but when you find the intersection of a, a great human being uh, combined with a great business, it can be extremely powerful and it kind of could be an exponential outcome. As a result, um, you hear um, the fool talk a lot about conscious capitalism, where companies care about all of their stakeholders, not necessarily just the shareholders, but they care about their employees, their stakeholders, their suppliers. Um, when you find companies that do that and do it real and really truly care about all their stakeholders and attach that to a great business model, it, it's, it's very powerful. Our colleague Matt Greer uh, made an interesting comparison. Um, he invoked the name of Jim Senegal from Costco, um, in part because of what Eric Yuan was talking about in terms of um, the way he is just so relentlessly focused on his customers and, like Senegal, he knows that there are no annuities in business. You have to win your customers and you have to keep your customers on a daily basis. Yeah, and Senegal, he's a smart guy. He's also a really nice guy who would answer his own phone. You know, CEOs don't typically answer their own phone and, and take all their calls. But, but he was very smart because he knew that retention was the key to growing Costco, getting us all to renew our annual membership at Costco, which drives 75% of the operating profit of Costco, was essential. So a happy customer is a strong business. And he made sure that he put forth a value proposition for all of us that made us happy to, to support him and his company. I feel like we have a cool Venn diagram we could put together from all of this. Like That, that might be a helpful visual, is just taking everything we talk about here in regard to good leaders and, and just pull up a little Venn diagram. The intersection, that word that Ron used there, I think was a really good one. When you find CEOs that really hit all of those main points, I mean, that's, that's special. I think we can put some summer interns on that. <laughs>
I'm sure I'll be joining us uh, shortly. Yes. I'm sure I'll be part of that program next year. (laughs) Quick shout out to LinkedIn. Hiring is not as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does all that legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so that you can focus on hiring the person who's going to help transform your business. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Last thing before we wrap up, um, we uh, closed the opening panel, which was focused on the market in general, uh, with a couple of fill-in-the-blank questions. And uh, uh, you guys were not on stage for that, but I wanted to hit you with those questions and just have you weigh in. Uh, Jason, no matter what the bulls say, I'm not touching blank with a 10-foot pole. This one was easy for me. It's crypto. I mean, I'm not a crypto hater, so all of you crypto fans out there, please don't find me afterwards here and rip me a new one. I just, for me, I've yet to find the true, the true investing case for it. I see the utility for it. I understand how it works and, and the merits of it. I, I just, I can't buy into the investment case. I have zero interest in owning Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin or spending Bitcoin. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of shakeout from the from the crypto markets here, and, and I think there's more to come. What about you, Ron? I, I can't get behind Uber. I just can't do it. As a customer, I'm all in, use it all the time. Um, I just I, I can't bring myself to buy the stock, at least not at these levels, um, at this point in their business model, in this point of their profit and cash flow generation, um, with some other problems that they've had with the business um, and the executive suite. Uh, Maybe I'll be there one day, but I'm not there now. I think the Bulls would be quick to point out the diversity of their business lines compared to Lyft, something like Uber Eats, and how that drives revenue. That doesn't do it for you? Uber Eats is probably going to be the part of that business that becomes profitable before anything else. So it certainly helps, um, but it doesn't get me there. Didn't you see the data that like 30% of those drivers are tasting your food before they deliver it? Is that I true? Mean, it's, there's been study after study here. Like they could take a fry. Now, I'm, listen, I'm a, Ron, like, you and I are both the cooks of our households, yes, right? I yes. mean, and so I, I do like to cook a lot. I mean, beyond a pizza, though, I just don't think I can have any food delivered to my house. I just don't trust them. That's, that's yuck. You can Google it and find it. There's <laughs> well, that, but that makes sense, though, because, I mean, depending on what you order, you know, if someone takes a couple of French fries, you're not going to miss that. A pizza gets delivered to your house and a piece is missing. You're going to know right I away. I got a problem. I got a big problem. Um, last one, Jason. In the next six months, blank is going to surprise a lot of investors. So I feel like we're seeing a little bit of a uh, less tolerance for risk-taking today. Companies like Uber and Lyft, they're, you're not getting those same kinds of valuations. A lot of these uh, SaaS companies um, are, are also uh, falling prey to that. I feel like maybe we'll see some um, consolidation in that SaaS space. I think we'll see, uh, as time goes on here, uh, some of these companies uh, couple up and, and try to bring more holistic solutions. There's a lot of 
great solutions out there and they do one thing really well, whatever it may be. But, you know, we, we are at a point here where uh, you want to be able to offer multiple solutions, whether it's something like a Microsoft or an Alphabet. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some consolidation happening in this SaaS uh, space here. Ron, what about you? I think within the next six months, certainly within the next year, we're going to start to see some early results of FDA trials from gene editing and gene therapy companies that I think are going to be very promising and are going to change the face of medicine as we know it today. Um, there's some very exciting things coming out, um, several different technologies that literally can alter our genes and fix things that are wrong with us. Obviously, a lot of ethical and moral conversations need to take place with respect to that, but I think they're very exciting. Uh, starting with relatively easy things to fix, like diseases that are affected uh, by one gene that has, has gone wrong. Um, but we're going to start to see these roll out, certainly over the next 12 months. And I think it really will change the face of medicine. Are there any stocks in particular in that arena that we should be keeping our eyes on? Uh, for sure, the, the CRISPR technology is something that I've focused on mostly. So it's companies like Editas, Intellia, CRISPR, a Therapeutics is another company. Uh, Bluebird is a company in that space. There's lots of companies that are attacking it. I think the most exciting ones right now are those that are focused on the CRISPR technology. Jason Moser, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fully. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.